Okay, well, let's grab a seat and um, grab your Bibles. If you forgot your Bibles, raise your hand and John's in the back and he can give you one. That's twice, John, that you got the designated Bible passer outer. So if you need a Bible, make sure you're going to want to follow along with us this morning. Um, And we're in John chapter 15, so you can turn to John chapter 15 in your Bible. And again, if you forgot one, ran out of the house before you could get one, no big deal. We have plenty of them in the back. With that being said, we also want to, we're excited for this. You can see here, I have a bunch of Bibles up here, right on um, the the platform up here. And what these are, these are free Bibles, so the church ordered them. Um, We actually have two cases of them, so I only have one case up here now. So if they're gone, don't worry, I'll get, uh, we have more to give out. But what we uh, did, remember at the pastor's conference, we were sharing how um, a gentleman by the name of Steve, who's the UPS driver, what he does, man, the Lord just put it on his heart to share the gospel. And he takes a Bible with him, not just a Bible, but he takes Bibles with him everywhere he goes. And as he's delivering, he just passes out Bibles uh, as the Lord opens up opportunities just to talk to somebody. So um, that's what we also wanted to make that available. It has in the front here, we, we have a sticker that gives the information for the church so people can get plugged in or at least listen, right, as a follow-up. Um, and then it also has the gospel in it. So there's a little sticker that gives them the gospel that, you know, if you don't necessarily get the chance to lead them through the gospel, they can read that. So these Bibles are up here. We're going to leave them up here for uh, just after service. And then um, next week, we'll move them downstairs in the, in the um, resource center but come, you, they're free, no cost. You guys take them, pass them out, put them on your work desk, put them, um, give them to your neighbors, just give them to somebody that you're um, just at the store, whatever it may be. Uh, we just ask that if you take it, you, you do pass it out. So those are up there um, for you. And then also a couple other things. If you're downstairs, I would just want to encourage you if you're in the fellowship hall um, and you're able to come upstairs, that you would make it upstairs. There's plenty of room up here. Um, and it, we just want to encourage you guys to be up here. We know that not everybody can because of uh, just handicap purposes, and that's completely understandable. Um, but if you are able to make it up, we encourage you to come upstairs. And then this November, so November 11th through the 19th, we are taking another trip to Hungary. So we're excited about that. I think there's 11 of us going to Hungary. Um, so if you you know, if you pray about it, and if the Lord's um, directing you to give specifically to that ministry, or to that mission trip, I should say, um, you're more than welcome to give. You can either designate it on, put it in an envelope, and put it in the agape box in the back, or you can hand it directly to Cheryl Andrews, if Cheryl will raise her hand in the back there, and she will make sure that we track it, and we give it, it goes directly just to that mission trip um, over in Hungary. So, uh, I know that's a few months away, but want to keep letting you know about that. Um, the other thing is this Wednesday, we do this the fifth Wednesday of every month. So there's like three or four throughout the year. I forget how many exactly. But on the fifth Wednesday of every month, we have a believers meeting here at the church. And so that's where we, um, at, we follow what the Bible says, right? And we give an opportunity for those who are saved, those who are in Christ, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. So it's a time of worship, of, of waiting on the Lord, and then of exercising the gifts of the Spirit. And um, we usually give an explanation of what that means. How do you do it biblically? We walk through that. So if you're in Christ and um, you want to come, we encourage you to come out Wednesday and join us for that. And if you're like, well, that's mean. I can't come. If, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a believer. I can't come. Well, just give your life to the Lord, and then you're welcome to join us on Wednesday night. Makes it easy. 
And and so no hard feelings. And then last uh, but not least, just again, I'll mention the retreats because they they are really a blessing. They really, really are. Um, The men's retreats, October 7th, 8th, and 9th. And then the women's retreat, the 14th through the 16th. They're real close. You can sign up. Um, if you go on our website, there's, there's a link. That, that's how you register. So you just go right on there, just fill out some basic information, and um, we can get you signed up. want to encourage you. Our friend Aaron Sabio is coming out from California. They have a number of women speakers coming up. I know that we invited our friends um, at a couple different churches, Calvary Brownsville. Um, we, they're, they're, they'll be joining us this year as well. And then last but not least, it's, uh, it's Helen and Grant's birthday. I don't know if it's anybody else's birthday. So here's what your job is. Your job is to make sure that we sing to them before we eat dinner downstairs. How's that? Okay? We'll put Logan in charge of that one. So Logan's responsibility. But make sure you stop and wish them a happy birthday. We'll sing to them as, right before we eat dinner. So you're in John chapter 15, and we pick it up in verse 18. You know... When I was in high school, about every Monday, this would happen. My, my football coach would walk up to me, my linebacker coach, his name was Scott Fayetta. He'd walk up to me with a packet of paper, and he'd hand it to me, and it had our, our opponent for Friday night, had their name up at the top, and then he started to go through. He laid out um, between Friday, our, when our last football game was, and this Monday morning practice, or Monday afternoon practice, excuse me, he did a scouting report. So he looked through all, all this tape, and, and he would write down the tendencies of what, what our opponent, upcoming opponent, would, would do. You know, if they came out with uh, three wide receivers on the right, most likely they're, they're going to be running a toss to that side. So for us on the defense, the idea is he was preparing us for when we would be put in those situations that we knew how to react. We knew what to look for. We knew the appropriate way to approach the situations that we were put in. And, and then, right, Friday night happens, and, and he's, not there on, he's not directly next to us yelling at us, like, watch the toss, watch the toss when they come out in trips. But that would be in the back of your head, right? You knew, man, maybe I have to cheat out a little bit more, or, or you're just looking for that. But then sometimes it happens, Right? They come out in a formation that you had no idea, right? You have no idea what the offense is going to do. You weren't prepared for it all. And it's a lot more difficult in that situation. You have to start going through your instincts. You, you start questioning everything. But see, when we were prepared, when our coach did the scouting report, and when we studied it, when we knew it, man, it made all the difference, all the difference in the world. And I, I say that because that's kind of the context, in a sense, of of where we are as we're journeying through John. Remember that Jesus right now, he's in the last few hours of his life before he went to the cross. He's with his disciples. They're in the upper room. Remember that they just celebrated the Passover. And now Jesus, he knows again, Judas has already gone out to betray him, to sell, to sell him out. And, and Jesus is with his disciples and he's preparing for his departure. And last week, we looked at Jesus saying that he is the vine. He is the vine. And he, he, we, we saw that as Jesus being the vine, we are simply to abide in him. We're to remain in him. And, and as we remain in him, there's fruit that is produced in our life. As you stay plugged in. And one of those even being love for the Lord and obedience out of that love. 
But that's the context. There's a chapter break in where we are in John, but um, as we finish 15 to 16, but there really shouldn't be a chapter break. That's, that's the entirety of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And see, even this morning, he wants to prepare us. And we can learn from what Jesus ha- has already told them. You'll, just a, as we're reading through it, I'd encourage you to note the places where Jesus said, remember. To remember, there to remember. And so you and I are even to remember as, as we go through this text today. So let's start. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. So three things here that Jesus wants to prepare his disciples for, and Jesus is even preparing us for. So you'll note in verses 18 down through 25 of chapter 15, Jesus prepares us and he prepares, prepares his disciple, disciples for the world's hatred. So we're prepared for the, prepared for the world's hatreds, hatred. And then in chapter 15, verse 26, down through 16, verse 4, we see that Jesus then prepares them for the world's rejection. And then finally, in chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, Jesus prepares them for the work or the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through them. So three things, three aspects of how Jesus is preparing his disciples and Jesus, um, and we can be prepared even today. So let's look at the first one. Jesus prepares us for the world's hatred. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, as a servant, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they, have, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they, ha- they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, Lord, would you minister to our hearts, God? We know that um, your word is alive and active, Lord, so we just trust, God, that you will move, Lord, and just like the surgeon has that perfect scalpel that cuts, Lord, that there might be healing, that there might be um, just restoration, Lord, that you would do that this morning, Lord, and as each of us um, just have different avenues to minister in our lives, Lord, would you prepare us? And Lord, at the same time, Lord, maybe there's someone who has never surrendered their life here to Christ. Lord, would you draw them to your Son by your Spirit? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, prepared for the world's hatred. Look up again in verse 18. See, Jesus said to his disciples from the, right off the get-go, that the, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And again, remembering the context of Jesus saying that you um, are, are the branches, right? I am the vine. You're to abide in me. Knowing that context, we shouldn't think it strange 
that how the world treated Jesus is how we too will be treated. If we're part of that vine, if we're part of that tree, if we are plugged into him, if we're abiding in him, the same type of animosity and hatred that Jesus experienced, we too in our own lives will experience. This ill will, this persecution. But notice he he specifically says um, a certain person, or we could say people who hate, if the world hates you. So it's important that we understand who Jesus is referring to there. He's not talking about just like the world as in the animals. Man, my dog hates me. It bit me, right? It's not that. It's not, it's not space and sky. But the world here, when the context of what Jesus is saying is the world being those who are not in Christ, right? Those who are not saved, those who are not born again. That's the world. Those are the ones who are showing hostility to the followers of Christ and to Christ himself. Jesus said this earlier in John 7, 7. He said, the world uh, cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So there Jesus said that the world specifically hates him because he, he shows what sin is. And he shows that the world's works are evil or wrong. And then in 1 John 3.13, there, John tells us not to marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So even being prepared for the world's hatred, Jesus says right off the bat, you shouldn't be shocked. You shouldn't marvel. You shouldn't think it a strange thing when you're hated by the world. But he goes on in verse 19, and he says, look, if you were of the world, if you were part of the world, if you were still in the world, in other words, if, if you weren't saved, right? Because you remember that when the Bible says that when you gave your life to Christ, even in Colossians it says that you were translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, right? Um, we know that in Corinthians it says that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old have passed away. Behold, all things are made new, right? So you and I, we're, we're not of, we're not part of the world. Before we came to Christ, we were in Adam, Right? We, we were from this world, but no longer we are. And because we have been called out, because you have been saved, Jesus says, that's why they hate you. You're not among them anymore. He chose you. We're no longer um, serving sin as the world does. But notice this. I, I think it's an interesting that we can even use that as encouragement and as a testimony for our own selves. Well, what do you mean by that? See, the hatred that we experience, the animosity, the persecution, really, and that can be as simple as not being invited to the coffee break or maybe the lunch at work. Or maybe it's your family. uh, You have some family members and they go out and they like to hang out, but you never get invited because, man, you're all about that that Jesus and that church stuff. Right? Just the the comments that people made, that, that persecution... See, we know that that's testifying of you yourself that you are not of the world. So let that be an encouragement to you. Do you see that? Let it, let it be an encouragement to us. Man, not that we rejoice that there, we're being rejected, but it, we can rejoice in the fact of, man, where this is consistent. This is exactly what you said. You said this will happen because you saved me, and I thank you that you've saved me. Even sometimes, like, we doubt, Right? Sometimes, if we're honest, we struggle. Man, some, some of us struggle. Am I really saved or not? 
That's a testimony to us, to our own hearts, that you are saved. So don't let it bum you out, but let it be an encouragement. But he went on in verse 20, and here Jesus said, I love this, he says, just remember, remember the word that I said to you. So as Jesus would soon part off the scene, I don't think the disciples truly understand what is happening now. Remember, uh, Peter said, well, where are you going, Father, or Jesus? And, and Jesus said, I'm going to my father's house. And he's like, well, can I go with you? And Jesus said, well, no, you can't come with me now. Remember that um, they didn't understand what was going on, even as Judas, um, they asked who would betray Jesus, and he says, the one who ate bread with me. Remember um, that, that Peter said, I will never deny you. So all this, right, as Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, he's set his face to the cross. He knows that that's where he's going. But yet his disciples, right, they're kind of there. They're, they're walking with him, but I don't think they really realize and understand what is going on. So Jesus wants them, though, to remember. See, he knows that, as we're going to look at later, as, as he departs, and they're given the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will bring this to remembrance. The Holy Spirit will do that work in them. And they're to remember the word which was spoken to them, and that's what they're to hold on to. Now that the, their Savior, the one who was, they were following in the flesh, right, is, has departed, but the same is true for you and I. See, have you ever asked, uh, kind of said it maybe to yourself, man, I wish I was in the upper room. I wish I was discipled by Jesus himself. I wish I got to hear these words. I, I, I wish I got to see him face to face, and that would be awesome. That would be sweet. There's something special. But see, you and I have the same things that Jesus said to the disciples. You have his word. And we're to be in his word. That's what we're to hold on to as we're asking questions, as we're facing persecution, as we're just walking this life. Remember the word. But in verse 21, um, he, he goes on and he says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent you. So he told them that they'll face persecution, but specifically here, Jesus says why they will face persecution. Right? We know that it's because that they were saved out of the world. They're no longer part of the world. But what it comes down to is this. See, the world doesn't know the Lord. They don't know the Father. That's what he says. And the idea of knowing is to be in relationship with him. Because uh, who, who would come against Jesus? Who, who, who was coming to arrest him? It was the religious leaders of those times, of those days. Man, the one who's, who knew the Bible better than anybody else. And yet Jesus is saying that the reason that they're doing this is because they truly don't know my Father. They don't know the Lord. See, their hatred of you and ultimately of Christ is because they hate the Father. They may claim to love the Lord. They might say, um, you know, that yes, God is God. He's creator. I, I believe in him. But the animosity, the persecution, the hatred is because they don't know him. And why is that? See, because Jesus, as we've been looking at, he says that all that I say, all that I do, is not of myself, but it's from my Father. And so their rejection of Christ, if Jesus only does the will of God, he only does that which the Father has shown him, if they reject him, they're rejecting the heart of our Lord. Do you see that? 
And so for us, yes, it's aimed at us. Even the disciples, they would face it for themselves. But ultimately, it's because they reject the Father. And so that tells you and I something. As we face this persecution, as we face rejection, that you're not the one to face it alone. And God knows what it's like to be rejected. God knows what it's like to be hated. Even Jesus himself going through this, remember in Hebrews, it says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us, who is able to help us because he's experienced these same things. See, in all this, Jesus is showing them that they're not walking alone. He went through this beforehand. And our Father also. But then we get down to verse 22, and it's, and it's interesting. What exactly is Jesus saying? He says, For if I had not come to come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for this sin. It's a little bit odd verse. Like, what, what exactly does he mean by this? Well, most likely, Jesus is referring to Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 and 22. So if you're a quick turner in your Bible, you can put a marker here, go to the left, and go to the book of Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 and 22. See, the Lord gave them this in the law, in the Pentateuch. And this is, and this is what he said way back to Moses as, as they were um, hearing from the Lord. And there Moses recorded uh, the Lord's word, and he says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, the prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has, spoke, has not spoken? In other words, how do we know if this prophet is truly from God or not? That, that's what they're saying, right? They're, they're proclaiming these messages. They're saying all this. But what's the test? How do we know if it's true? He says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come to happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. And you shall not be afraid of him. In other words, Moses, the Lord was speaking to Moses and uh, saying, look, there's going to be false prophets who come. There are going to become people who proclaim to be sharing the, a word from the Lord. To be, that's what prophecy is, right? Speaking forth. The word of God. And if, and if they're a false prophet, they'll too be put to death and become a non-prophet now, right? They were for profit, but now they're a non-prophet. As they're there to kill them. They're not to mess with them, not to let them hang around. Because God takes his word seriously. And he says that here's the test. How do I know if they're true or not? What the prophet is saying, what they're proclaiming, does it happen? Does it come to pass? So put this in the context of what Jesus is saying now to his disciples. He's saying that, see, if I had not come and if I had not spoken to you, if I had not declared the truth of the gospel, that you are in need of your sin, or excuse me, in need of saving from your sin, that you can't save yourselves, and that I am the Lamb of God that I am the light of the world, that I am the truth, that I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the light. See, Jesus says he came and he proclaimed that. And we know that what he proclaimed came to pass. And Jesus is saying, look, if I was a false prophet, as I 
He knows that he's going to the cross, right? He knows that he will rise again three days later. But for them, man, it's a testimony of that he is who he said he was. See, and now because he proclaimed the truth of God's word, those who heard it, even the people in that time, they're responsible for their sin. They're responsible because they refused Christ. They refused the free gift of salvation. And that's what he's saying. See, that's the context. They've been given the light, and now they're held to what they have been given. But in verse 23, he goes on, and he says, He who hates me hates my father also. So we were talking about that um, before. And then in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen also and hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So here again, Jesus pointing his disciples, pointing those who were no longer going to be, right? He's no longer, he's leaving. He's not going to be with them anymore. Again, back to the word. Don't be surprised. Man, this is already told beforehand in the word. They should have known this. And Jesus here is actually referring to Psalm 35, verse 19. So Psalm 35, 19, where we read, Let them not rejoice over me, who, wrongfully, uh, who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. That's what Jesus is saying. They, they're hating me without a cause. I have done nothing wrong. But it's because they hate my Father. Also, uh, it's referenced in Psalm 64.4. Psalm 64.4 where we read that they may shoot in secret at the blameless and suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. So Jesus is saying again, don't I'm pre- be prepared for the persecution that's going to come. It's been told before in the Psalms, here's the reason, here's the heart of their hatred, of their rejection, is because they they're rejecting my father and be prepared it's not yes they hate you but it's because they hate me so what an encouragement for us today and you know even right now you may not face persecution you might say okay well that's nice to know um, but we're not living in um, countries where where they can't even meet in a body like this on sunday mornings right right but what, what about if it comes to that what about for when you take that stand for Christ in your workplace or in your family? You know, the Bible says um, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Even if you desire, if you make that stand. So be prepared. God has told us beforehand in his word. Come back to his word. Come back to what he's already told us. Remember these things. So, Next, we've, we see how he's prepared them for persecution, but now he prepares them for rejection, or prepares for being prepared for hatred. So verse 26 here, John continues, and he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus has already told us, or told his disciples about the helper. And you know, of course, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Back in John 14, verse 17, he actually refers there, and that's how we know 
when he's speaking of the helper, um, he, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is telling them now, I will give you, or when I, as I depart, you will have the Holy Spirit. Again, called the helper, helper. Some of your translations may say the comforter. Maybe you have that, the comforter. Well, what Jesus is saying or what he's referring to as the helper, the comforter, um, the Holy Spirit, it, the, the word there actually means paraclete. And if you, if you were to go and if you were to define that, that's one of another equal quality. So think about that. He's just not saying that this is a helper in the terms of a, a different person or of a different quality who I'm going to, to send to you. But Jesus is he's referring to that the Holy Spirit would be one who is of the same quality, of, of the same um, uh, coming, I, I guess you could say, from the same source. Again, we serve a God who's one God, but in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So not of a different type, but of the same. And, and the idea here is not uh, a helper in the sense of, right, let me take a step back. The better way to explain it is, is the helper or a, a one of another quality who pleads God's cause with us. That's the idea. He, he's come, and just think about it. Jesus is saying to the disciples, here's what the Lord wants you to know, right? He's revealing the heart of his Father. He's, he's saying that to him. But he's saying that now as I give you the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to plead God's cause with you and I. He's going to speak to us what the Father wants you to know. And isn't that what the writer of Hebrews even said, that you don't have a law anymore written on stone, but the law is written on your hearts and on your minds, right? The one who is pleading the cause of God, the law of God, within our own hearts. So the Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus, always point us to the Father. And remember, Jesus said that, that he himself is a perfect represent, representation of the Father. So then that's how we can test even as, as you know, some ministry or someone who's speaking a, a word right from the Lord. Well, ultimately, does that word or, or that sense, that leading right, that we have in our heart, is it pointing me back to the Father? It's a good test that we can ask ourselves. How do I know if this is really the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Well, does it point me back to the Father or back to Jesus? And is it glorifying myself? Right? Well, well, this action or or will we're, well saying this, whatever whatever it may be, is it going to? Or will people see me in the end? Or are they going to see Jesus? Are they going to see the Father in that? Well, not only that, we is it consistent with the Word of God? See if it's if it's the Holy Spirit, who, who is of equal and quality and type from the Father, He won't ask us, He won't lead us to do something that's inconsistent with what the Word of God says. So it's a good test. You know, I, I forget where this was, but someone um, was recently saying that um, there's, there's a person in their church, not, not, not here, but... Uh, they're, they're leaving, this woman is leaving her husband for, for some other man. I, I forget the, the whole story of it. And uh, they said that her sister-in-law or her sister, somebody, right, told her that the Lord said it was okay for her to do this. Well, it's not from the Lord. See, God says, 
he, right, he upholds marriage. He permits divorce, but that's not from the Lord. That, that's how, and, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this, how, we can use that as a test, right, within our own hearts. Man, how do I know if this is the Lord leading me to do this? Well, go filter it through the Word of God. Ask yourselves, again, is it pointing to Christ or is it pointing to the Father? But also, um, here, I think that Jesus is saying that I will give you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, that as you and I are face rejection, that as we face persecution, that even in that, right, the Holy Spirit would remind us and comfort us in that, of course. That's part of the greater context. See, he points us, if in our rejection, the Holy Spirit points us back to the Father, points us back to Christ, that's where we're going to be looking for our security, for our resource, for what we need in persecution. Because oftentimes, I want to run to everybody around me before I want to run to the Lord. And yeah, the the Lord has given us a body of believers, and isn't it sweet to see each of us here? Right? And, and sometimes when we go through hard times and we face rejection, we have each other to go to, to for encouragement and for prayer. But ultimately, see, the Holy Spirit wants us to look back to the Lord and think about it. Why is that? You see, because if you're only looking to me or to Tim or to your husband or your best friend or your wife, at the end of the day, ultimately, they will let you down. But because He sent us His Spirit, He's given us His Holy Spirit, who may be through those people, but ultimately that you're going to be looked back to God. See, because God will never fail you. God will never let you down. And so that's uh, that's our hope in rejection. That's our hope in persecution. And even... um, we, I guess we need to ask ourselves, well, if, G- if Jesus says that he's going to send them the helper, did that actually happen? Well, in Luke twenty four forty nine, there Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. And there they were to wait. They were to wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that that actually occurred in the book of Acts, right? Chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, that the, um, the Lord gave the Holy Spirit, he fell on those who were waiting there in the upper room. And, and so uh, the word of Christ was fulfilled. He said, wait, I will give you the helper. And then they were to, they went and they experienced that. And for you and I today, right, you know that when you surrender your hearts and life to Christ, that the Bible says that he gives you his spirit. In the book of Ephesians, it says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise a guaranteed, a down payment, that the moment you surrender your life to Christ, He comes and He lives inside of you. So, if you've given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit's abiding, living within you. But not only that, um, just again, the context, we know that um, the Bible tells us that He will give us gifts, which we'll talk about later, right? For the works of the ministry, to minister in even. But all this, Jesus says that I'm telling you things I'm telling you all this beforehand in verse 1 of chapter 16. I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. So again, he doesn't want them to fall. He doesn't want them to to slip, to trip up, to fall into a bad place. 
But verse 2, he says, But they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. So for, in that day, in that time, if you were put out of the synagogue, that was your whole social life if you were a Jew in Israel. You, were now, you would then be cut off from, again, think about all the holidays, the, the feasts, the celebration. You couldn't be part of that anymore. And remember that in John chapter 9, verse 22, that when Jesus healed the, the man who was blind and, and he tested the, the religious leaders and said, said, who healed you? And he said, I, I don't know who healed me. And then they called the blind man's uh, parents in and they asked him, they, excuse me, they asked his parents and their parents, uh, not wanting it says to be put out of the synagogues, they said, he's of age, ask him. See, there was a fear that... It's, for us, it might not sound like a big deal, but it, it was. Some would be killed for Christ's sake. Again, thinking that they, would, they were serving, uh, there would be those who would kill, kill the disciples, thinking that they were serving God, that, you know, that that's Paul, right? He was going about doing that. But again, verse 3, he tells us, and these things that they will do to you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Again, a rejection of the Father. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So do you see again the theme? Jesus is saying, remember, remember, don't forget. I'm telling you them now because soon I won't be with you physically anymore. I won't be here. And you need to be hold on to these words. This is what's going to keep you. And so, pre prepared for um, hatred, prepared for rejection or persecution, now Jesus prepares his disciples for the work of the Holy Spirit. So, continuing on, again, being plugged in the vine, departing, saying, I will give you a comforter, the comforter, I, I, I will give you the helper. Jesus goes on here and, and he describes the work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he says, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, if you're tracking, remember just a couple chapters earlier, in John 13, verses 36 to 38, there the disciples asked Jesus when he said that he's departing from them, that he's going to the Father. They asked, well, where are you, where are you going and, and can we come? So they just asked that question. But it seems odd that Jesus would, would reference this again here. Again, just going through that. Well, many believe that it's because Jesus is pointing out that the, the disciples' hearts, their desire to know where he was going was not genuine. It wasn't more of, Jesus, where, where are you going to be? And, and, and can, will I be there with you? But it was more of, goodness, you're, you're leaving? What in the world is going to happen to me? You're, you're not going to be here with me? What does, what's that mean for me? And so Jesus, in, in kind of bringing this up again, he's revealing um, the, their heart. Their heart for their own just situation, their own life. Not really being concerned about where he's going and the things of the Lord. And again, he said that you will become sorrowful or you have been made sorrowful after hearing that you will be hated, that you will be rejected, and that he is leaving them. See, again, they've been following for Christ for, what, 
uh, three and a, almost three and a half years now in his ministry. And he's about to depart off the scene from them physically. They thought in their hearts, their expectation of Jesus is that you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. You're going to establish God's kingdom here and now. This is what we thought, Lord. Not that you're going to die on the cross. Not that we'll face persecution. You're going to overthrow the Romans and we're not going to be under persecution. See, but Jesus had eternity in mind. Jesus had you and I in mind as he went to the cross. But for the disciples, their expectations of God were wrong. And that's what disappointed them. That's what made them sorrowful. And oftentimes that happens to us, right? When we expect God to do something, that's, but yet that's not what God had planned. But he had something more grand, greater. He had our salvation, our eternity in mind. But verse 7, he goes on, he says, Nevertheless, so in spite of your sorrow, in spite of, of what's going on in your hearts, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So notice here, Jesus is saying that in spite of what you're thinking, in spite of what you're feeling, in spite of this sorrow that has filled your heart, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go to the cross. And we've talked about that, right? If Jesus didn't die on the cross, we can't be saved. But even more than that, he's, um, he's addressing their feelings with truth. That's how the, we're to address our feelings, right? Feelings are not bad. God's given us feelings, but we're not to walk by our feelings alone because then our lives are just this mountains and valleys and ups and downs and we're unstable. But here Jesus is taking his disciples and he's saying, this is the truth in spite of what you're feeling, this is what you're to know. And that's what we're to do. And this is what he, they're to, he's encouraging them saying that it is advantageous that I'm no longer with you. But why? Think about it. Why, what's not to, why, what's the advantage of Jesus not physically being with them? Again, put yourself in their shoes. Man, how, how awesome would it be just to walk with Jesus through, um, or I guess ride with Jesus because we wouldn't be walking nowadays. Up 51 is you have to go to Target and get whatever it is you're, um, you have to get, right? And just the conversations that you would have. Or as you're here in church, man, and uh, there's that difficult situation or circumstance, or there's that ministry, that person that you're be, you've been pouring into, witnessing to, just to hear Jesus, right? Uh, he, you get to share with him all that's been going on, and he's discipling with you, and then all of a sudden he says, I'm not going to be with you. But Jesus, again, pointing to the Holy Spirit, he says that it's advantageous because I will now give you the Holy Spirit. And so you and I on this side of the cross, again, not being, in with the, not being in the disciples' shoes, but now on this side of the cross, see, we're at more of an advantage of, of those um, who, even the disciples at that time, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit abiding and dwelling within them individually. But now you and I, Jesus says, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And that is so much more of an advantage than what the disciples had. Remember up to this point that the Holy Spirit would come upon 
men and women in the Old Testament to be, who were used by God. But now, again, after Pentecost, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and He abides, He dwells within you. And so think about it. It's like Jesus Himself coming and sitting with you daily, just being your counselor, sitting with you at work, sitting with you around the dinner table as you have to have those conversations, sitting with you as you minister, as you drive, Man, as you're in your bed at night and your thoughts are running wild, Jesus is now sitting with you, but it's in the form of the Holy Spirit, right? The Father Himself. And as we referenced earlier in Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14, the Holy Spirit is that assurance for you that you are His. We know that the Holy Spirit gives gifts. We know that the Holy Spirit, He produces fruit in your life, that fruit referring to ultimately the love of God. But in verses 8 and 9, he he continues and he says that when he, speaking of the Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So here, Jesus says, again, the context is important. He says, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you know, I don't, I don't know if you caught it in my voice. I probably didn't do a good job. But as I was reading uh, verse, verses 7 there, did you note how many, I tried to emphasize um, where John writes to you. And in this section, as we finish out down through verse 15, if you can note at least five times there that, that uh, Jesus is saying to you. So notice, this is the work of the Holy Spirit that he's going to do in the world and through the world, but it's in and through you and I. This is the work of the Holy Spirit through us as as believers, us as a body here at CCSP. And and there's three specific things that um, Christ points out. First, he says, that the Holy Spirit is going to convict, or, or, or that means to reprove, to correct. In other words, to show uh, what is wrong, to, to correct that which is wrong, to make known or to bring to light. So he says that the Holy Spirit's job, he will bring this conviction of three specific things which we'll talk about. But he says, this is the work of the Spirit through you to the world around you. So the Holy Spirit working to reach those who are not saved. That's, that's the context. So he says, the Holy Spirit, number one, will convict the world of sin. So we know that sin simply means missing the mark, right? God's mark of perfection. Because it is only Christ who can forgive our sins. See, the only sin that can't and won't be forgiven is the sin that isn't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ to to those who refuse, who have rejected Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior. All other sins will be forgiven, but the Bible actually refers to it as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? Refusing to turn to Christ as the Holy Spirit shows you your need for for, um, a Savior and that Savior being Jesus Christ. See, one pastor says it this way, our belief, this is, how how does this work in and through us? One pastor says, Our belief and reliance upon Jesus is to be so strong and apparent to the world around us 
that they see our lives and they say, I am missing Jesus. Jesus is so evident in all that we do, in our interactions, in the way that we treat others, in what we say. Man, even the fact, not that we're holy rollers going to church and pointing it out to them that I went to church yesterday, but instead of just saying, when they ask you, what did you do this weekend? You're like, ah, I did nothing, right? Say, man, I went to church and I heard about Jesus and the work of his spirit. Testify. It's to be so apparent in our lives that they're convicted that they're missing Jesus. They realize that. Not only that, but part of us, uh, part of our lives personally, um, the Holy Spirit does that work to refine us, you and I, right? To make us more uh, like Jesus. And that, the biblical term for that is just sanctification, right? Setting us apart to be more and more like Him. He convicts us of our sin. He convicts us of those comments that we say, the attitudes that are wrong, man, for cutting out short at work, stealing the pop at 7-Eleven, whatever it may be. See, in our lives, as the Holy Spirit is working through us, become more and more, more like Jesus, and it's evident then to the world around us that they are missing Jesus. See, again, taking a step back, remember the work of the Spirit is to point um, others, to point us back to Christ and back to the Father. So if the Spirit's then doing that in our lives, that should be the end result of my life. And so ask yourself, is my life make Christ apparent to the world around me? If someone looks at my life, do they know that I'm, a, that I'm saved? Do they see Jesus in my life? You know, and, and my prayer, my desire for my life is not that, that I would be remembered. You know, if I were to die tomorrow, and not that at my funeral, not that people would say um, I was a hard worker, that I was a good dad or a good husband, or, or whatever it may be, but that people would say that they, they just saw Jesus in my life. That they could just say, man, he was a reflection of Jesus. Of course, he's fallen, right? He had his quirks. Just ask my wife. She could, probably, she could testify of that. But ultimately, that they just saw Jesus. So they would con- the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, of their need for Jesus in and through us. But number two, he says that they that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness simply means the standard of what is right. See, Christ mentioned he was going to the Father. And you know, and I know, that he was put on the cross, he died, but then three days ra- later, he rose again from the dead. But, and, and that's a testimony that Jesus' work, his sacrifice, what he did was perfect and it was acceptable by the Father that he lived without sin, that his life was righteous in God's eyes. Romans 1.4 tells us this, and, de- and I'll, I'll just share it with you, and declared to be the Son of God, referring to Jesus, with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. See there again, his resurrection confirms that he was righteous and that God accepted his work. So, so to you and I, our lives are to be right. We're to be concerned about doing what is right in the Lord's eyes. As, as he convicts us, as we just mentioned, as our lives are made more and more like Jesus. Not that people would see us, but that they would, they would be convicted of God's standard of what is right. 
Man, we don't say the jokes. I don't talk about that person behind their back. Simply, it's just not right. Not because I'm better than someone, but that God might use our lives to convict the world around us of their need for Jesus. You know, a good, a good example of this is in Ephesians 4. If you want to turn to the right here, put a marker. We're going to come back. We just have a couple more verses to go. But in Ephesians 4, I think this is a great example of what, of what the work of the Spirit and of righteousness looks like even today. So, in Ephesians 4, look at verse 25 here. And specifically, the context is um, Paul is referring to not grieving the Holy Spirit. So, as, as uh, the Bible talks about three different relationships with the Holy Spirit, that we're not to resist the Holy Spirit. That's as he's drawing us to Christ in our need for a Savior. So if you say, continually say no to him, right, you're resisting him. Once we're saved and the Holy Spirit's abiding in you and I, the Bible says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning that he's convicting us of sin, but we continue to say no and walk in sin. And then thirdly, that we're not to quench the Holy Spirit, or as, as he gives us gifts, that we're, we're not to say, no, I, don't, I won't, or I don't believe in the gifts, but we're, allow, we're to allow him to use, or excuse me, we're to use our gifts, allowing him to flow through us. But he's talking here, Paul in verses 25 um, through 32, he's talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit. So this is what this is the example that he he uh, gives, and I'll just let it speak for itself. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, or excuse me, steal no longer. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give whom who has need. Let no, verse 29, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Man, what a reflection. If, if our lives are, are righteous, if, if, they're, if, they're, if we are living right with what God is asking us to do, this is, just take that as one test. Is my speech pure? Is it reflecting the Father Am I working hard with my hands, not to gain uh, for myself, but even then to be as an avenue to give away to others? Is my, spe is my speech with gr filled with grace and edification, meaning are my words building others up? Are they graceful? But rather, <laughs> rather when the towel's on the ground or the dishwasher isn't closed, right? Is it bashing? Even there, uh, that's referring to Colossians 3.16. It says that we're to build one another up, edify each other with the word of God. Are we kind? Are we forgiving? Are we loving? Man, see, the work of the Spirit is to work in you and I personally to make us more like Christ, that the world around us would then even be convicted of realizing that they're not living right. But see, that's the key. It's not us going out 
and saying it, per se. We might, God might lead us to do that, but ultimately it's the work of the Spirit in and through you. See, we're holy, excuse me, we're lousy convictors, aren't we? We can say something to someone, but unless it's the Spirit of God, man, they'll, they'll just keep doing it. It has to be a work of the Spirit, the Spirit who brings the conviction. Finally, we see that the Holy Spirit will work through us to convict the world of sin, number two, of righteousness, and then number three, of judgment. So it will convi- he will convict the world of judgment, and here, that's referring to or, or of punishment. See, ultimately, again, looking in the greater context, we know that Jesus went to the cross, but he, and he bore our sins upon himself, and he rose again, but in going to the cross and in rising again, he defeated Satan. He defeated death, as the Bible tells us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Where is your victory? Jesus overcame sin in the grave, and Satan is defeated. In Hebrews 2.14, there, the writer of Hebrews says that, again, it was the cross that defeated Satan. See, the fact that you and I have been freed from the bondage of sin, it now speaks to the world that we are different. And, 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 and our freedom, it, it's wrought because of what Christ has done. See, we can and we are free only because uh, Christ took our judgment for sin upon himself. And he bore it. That's, that's the work. That's the conviction of judgment. Romans 6, you can go uh, read that, verses 20 through 23, speaks a little bit about that as well. But of judgment, because Christ defeated sin, he set us free from sin. But not only that, but it speaks that the world will be convicted, knowing that they'll one day be held accountable for their sin as they stand before God. And we know that as believers, we're not at that judgment, right? But all will have to give account on that day. And if you're outside of Christ, the Bible says that you'll have to give account for your works. And there's no works that can make us acceptable in God's sight. But he finishes out here in verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, there's, there's a lot more, but, but now's not the time. They're just not ready for it yet. And isn't that kind of cool just to think about it in your life, in my life? Man, there's, there's so much God wants to show you and that he, he, he wants to bring to light to you. But he's, he just gives us as we're able to take it, right? He just, I, I, don't, I don't feed Brits uh, a T-bone steak right now. He can't bear it. He can't take it. He's not prepared. His four teeth up front are pretty sharp, but I don't think he, could, he couldn't chew it, right? We give him what he's ready for and so as you and I, as we just keep walking with Jesus day by day, he, he shows us more and more. He reveals more and more to us. I think, it's, I think that's exciting. But he says in verse 23, excuse me, 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. 
Again, Jesus describing the Holy Spirit. We see the work that he will do through us to the world around us, but he describes them here as the spirit of truth. So we know that ultimately, again, pointing us and bringing back to remembrance, helping us to understand, teaching us the word of God, right? Our God is, uh, cannot lie. He, can, he only shares what is true. So again, speaking to the Father, you see the resemblance there as we've been talking about um, of Christ. Christ saying some of those same things, that I only speak that which the Father tells me to speak. I only see the things which I see him do. Jesus saying the Holy Spirit works in the same way, again, because he's from um, the Father. Um, but in all of this, I love verse 24, again, kind of capping it off here, that a work of the Spirit in our lives, it glorifies Jesus. See, the cool thing is that we don't have to be somebody. We don't have to be great in the world's eyes. We don't have to be CEO. We don't have to be uh, Torrin Wells or you know, Jeremy Camp or these famous people for God to use you and I. Because as the Holy Spirit just as we make ourselves available to be a vessel, man, to reach the world around us as our, as our lives personally, um, as we stand for Jesus with him, they're not going to see us. He uses nobodies because he glorifies himself. How encouraging is that? But in all this, you know, this isn't necessarily the most, what's the right way to say it? Maybe encouraging thing to say, right? Knowing that we'll face persecution, knowing that we'll face rejection. But Jesus has told us these things here this morning today, that when they come, that we are preparing, that we know what to do, that we cling back and we run back to his word. See, Jesus today wants to use you and I, just his spirit through us, to be a witness to the world around us because we're living in a world that needs Jesus. We're living in a world that's fallen, that is calling good evil and evil good. And just, just ask yourself, man, just today, tomorrow, as you go out to the world around you, Lord, would you just use me? Here I am. Lord, I, I don't even know necessarily the words to say. Lord, I don't know how to reach that person, but I know it's not me. I know it's your spirit through me. See, and as you just look to his spirit, as you rely upon him, he will do that work. He will use you as a vessel to bring glory, to bring others to know Christ as their Savior. So, Father, we thank you this morning just for your word. And we thank you for the truth, Lord, that you've told us these things, that when they happen, we aren't surprised by them. Lord, and we pray this morning that even if there's anyone here who has never accepted Christ, or that they would um, just this morning surrender their hearts to you, Lord, knowing that um, apart from Christ, Lord, there's nothing good that we can do to earn our way to heaven. Lord, it's not coming to church. It's not, um, Lord, reading our Bibles. Lord, but it's what Christ has done. And you tell us it's by grace we have been saved. It's a free gift, Lord, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Lord, even, even now this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here, would you do that work? Lord, would you draw them to your Son? And Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to be used by you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.